Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Xavi's Barcelona faces a Bavarian asset test. Real Madrid and Inter Milan slug it out for top spot. It's anyone's game in Group G. And one life raft remains unoccupied in the group of death. It's the grand finale of the Champions League group stages. And while 11 teams have already stamped their tickets to the round of 16, there is still plenty more business to settle. I'll be looking ahead to all of it of Match Day 6 action alongside Jonathan Johnson and our special guest, Derek Ray. Kego Lasso Champions League preview begins right now. Hey, everybody, welcome to Kego Lasso. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for being part of the family. We are on Twitter, Kego Lasso Pod. We are on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Kego Lasso. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your pods, and of course, CBS Sports and your CBS Sports app. Right then, it's a big one. We wrap up the group stages of the Champions League. And first of all, we want to welcome back our friend, our colleague, JJ. Jonathan Johnson, how are you, bud? Hey, they're doing very well. Thanks. And you? I'm good. I'm very excited. You know why, JJ? I can't imagine. <laughs> I just finished three hours playing FIFA, and guess what? I mean, I mean, honestly, we're, we're as Villa fans, we're already on cloud nine. So uh... exactly, exactly. But we're not going to bore our guest here with Villa. <laughs> but we do will tell him that I've had three hours of uh, playing FIFA, and I said, JJ, I was like, I need some more Derek Ray in my life, and Derek Ray makes his debut for Gigo Lasso. Derek, how are you, my friend? I'm very well, thanks, Luis. Uh, thank you very much for the invitation, first of all. I trust that Villa are doing well in FIFA right now, and I hope the commentator isn't saying anything too nasty. No, don't worry. I switch him between him and uh, Fernando Palomo. I, ah, I, good. I, <laughs> but it's an absolute pleasure to have you, Derek. Derek Ray, of course, uh, if you don't recognize that voice already, how dare you? He's been doing tremendous work. Obviously, he has a plethora of work behind him, but done amazing work for ESPN right now, the Bundesliga, La Liga. Derek, how's it been going so far? How's your year been? It's been really busy. I would have to say one of the busiest ever, because as you mentioned, I've taken on La Liga again after many years. It used to be my bread and butter back in the 2000s for ESPN. So I'm back doing it as well as doing the Bundesliga. So my ritual tends to be one Bundesliga game one day and then a game from La Liga the other, sometimes even more than that. So it's been staying on top of everything and making sure that, as always, I, I do my homework, uh, but really enjoying it because I think that while La Liga is going through a, an interesting period in its history, it's no less fascinating. And of course, the Bundesliga always has stories and we've just come off maybe the most news-filled weekend in the Bundesliga that I can remember for, for many a long year. Derek, it's an absolute pleasure to to finally meet you uh, kind of in person uh, doing this. And uh, I've got so much stuff that I'd love to, to get into with you uh, being a fellow commentator, among other things, uh, and our journalistic links. But I revealed in the last episode that I have 
an affiliation with San Jose Earthquakes in uh, Major League Soccer. So I'm going to uh-huh. drop another bomb. I'm going to drop another Go bomb on. this time. My Bundesliga team is Cologne, and I just wanted uh-huh. to make sure that I get you chatting Cologne for, for a couple uh-huh. of minutes and, and how they're doing this season, because I'm a big fan of Anthony Modeste and the boys. Yeah, well, we share that passion. Um, I am not from Köln originally, but I feel as though part of me does come from Köln. And this has been a remarkable season for a club that really is one of the clubs that you would say represents passion, you know, represents um, what we all like about football. You know, there's nothing fake about Köln. You know, it's all very earthy and very real. And in Stefan Baumgart, they have a coach who I think matches up with that billing. You know, for for a long time, Köln have had coaches who maybe haven't been quite the sort of mirror image of how the fans see themselves. And I must say, it's going better than I expected. When I did my predictions at the start of the season, I had Kern down at around 15th. I thought they would stay up, but maybe not comfortably. But it's looking as though, at the moment anyway, and it's still relatively early, they probably will be able to stay up. It wasn't a great result at the weekend against Bielefeld. It wasn't a terrible result. But I think what Baumgart has done is he's simplified things a little bit. He's gone back to basics with this team. And you sort of know how they're going to play, but it's all about commitment. It's all about everybody putting in that 100% effort, knowing their roles, knowing what they have to do. And he's managed to get the best out of players like Anthony Modeste, who I think we thought, genuinely thought, um, had his best days behind him in Kern. And so, yeah, on they go. FCA doing really well. And long may that continue. I think I'm allowed to say that as well. (laughs) Absolutely. But Derek, uh, one thing that I love about you, and this is uh, as a Peruvian who grew up in England, the way you take so much respect in uh, pronunciation and making sure that every name, every team, every player is pronounced the way it should be. Uh, I, I love it so much. So when you when you talk about homework, I take it, is that part of it now or does it come naturally now? It's always part of the homework. It's definitely part of the preparation. Um, mm. Obviously, as a fluent German speaker, when, when I'm speaking German and when I'm using German names, it's similar to, to you when you're speaking Spanish. You're not thinking of... Sorry, my microphone's knocked off there. Sorry about that. I'm getting right, too excited. They're not, not live, my friend. You can keep on rolling. Waving my hands around there. Um, no, it's one of these things that um, it, it just comes out that way. You know, so you, if you're pronouncing a Spanish name, you're not thinking about it. You're just pronouncing it, you know, mm. and I'm the same with German names. Now, with other languages that I don't speak fluently, I've had to train myself a bit more. Um, but that is always part of the preparation. So I'll go down every name. If it's a name I'm not familiar with, I'll say it out loud several times over, you know. And I just think it's respect. It's something that I, I think people know that I do, I try to do. I can't guarantee that I've said every single name 100% correctly down the years. I don't think anybody could do that. But what I can say is I've always given it an honest effort. And I've always tried to check, double check and triple check, even at the risk of saying a name in a way that's different in comparison with others. You know, I've never been fearful of that. Other commentators have told me that they wouldn't dare do that because they would rather just go with the crowd and say it in a way that has become common currency. I don't really feel that way because my attitude is if there's one Polish person in my audience and I'm pronouncing a Polish name, I want that Polish person to go, ah, that commentator has actually done his homework and he's saying the name correctly. So I I would rather be right about it 
than popular about it. 100%. I think that's, uh, I think that's really, really admirable as well. Uh, I mean, if more people, you know, stuck to, to, to that, that sort of uh, attitude uh, towards commentary, you'd have people like Kylian Mbappe called by his proper name, which is Kylian Mbappe. But, you know, like you said, it becomes common currency after a yeah. while when people are sort of mispronouncing it. But as somebody who's, who's also experienced a bit of, of commentary in France, in Belgium, in Greece, uh, you know, I always enjoyed uh, the research part of things before games. Yeah. And I was just wondering sort of which part of the preparation is perhaps your favorite part. Is it the, the researching of the way to pronounce names or is it digging into the history of a new club uh, perhaps that you're covering for the first time? Yeah, great question, Jonathan. For me, I think it is probably the history of a new club. My eyes always light up when, for example, I was doing Cadiz recently in Spain, and I hadn't done Cadiz before because they hadn't been in the Primera when I'd covered La Liga before. So rather than view that as a chore, I thought, here's a great chance to, you know, to expand my mind a bit and find out some things about Cadiz. And for me, it's the stories. I think the stories are the most interesting. So I always try to keep this um, file together of stories, even from the past, even from 10, 15 years ago. Now, the trick as a commentator is not to bore your audience by using that story every single game. You know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, if you do that, then it's it's people are going to say, why do you say that same thing about that player every time he plays? But to have it filed away for um, for the right moments, you know, for the right moment in the right game. I think that's part of the fun. As I always say, as a commentator, you have to enjoy the, the shoveling, the digging. And the digging can take several hours. And sometimes when you complete the digging, then you don't actually know if the digging has been worthwhile because you say, well, I've, I've not used that. You know, I've wasted four hours. But you never really waste the four hours because there will be a time again uh, where the digging actually came in handy, where the, the fruits of your labor um, will actually end up nourishing the broadcast, hopefully. Yeah, I love it. And no better example than that, because obviously you go from La Liga to the Bundesliga, La Liga to the Bundesliga. It's it's great to see. And Derek, absolutely fantastic to have you and everybody. This is now our Champions League preview. We're wrapping up the Champions League in 2021, the group stages at the very least, as we look ahead to the knockout stages. As you heard in the intro, some teams have already qualified. Des Norris, I don't know if you want to put up that uh, design. There you go. See, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, Manchester United, Juventus, Chelsea, Liverpool, PSG, Man City, Ajax, and Sporting as well. They are in. So there's still some teams to go. Inter Milan, of course, we can't forget. I know. Well, oh, my God. All my Italian colleagues are going to get really mad right now. Inter are in. So don't forget about that one. But those that could qualify for the round of 16 on match day six, AC Milan, Atalanta, Atletico Madrid, Barcelona, Benfica, Lille, Porto, Salzburg, Sevilla, Villarreal, and Wolfsburg. So there's still many storylines to discuss. Let's move on to Tuesday. And let's begin with Real Madrid against Inter Milan. Historically, quite a big, big game. Uh, this is a big one, of course. It's the fight to finish top, as obviously Shakhtar and Sheriff is really more of a consolation situation when you think about the other competitions. Jonathan, let's begin with you. Real Madrid against Inter. This is a massive game. Real Madrid got a very good win this past weekend. It looks like Carlo Ancelotti's side are doing very well in La Liga. Vinicius Juniors, to me, is killing it right now. But Inter also demolished Roma, as many of us predicted. Talk to me about this game. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it much more than I thought I would be at the beginning of the group stage. I kind of 
guessed that Real Madrid would steamroll their way through this group, but Inter really coming into form now, playing much better than I thought they would given the changes made over the summer. You look at the way, uh, you know, that they're picking up some very important results and have clawed back that ground in the Italian title race at the moment. And, you know, I'm I'm feeling optimistic that, that Inter can get a result here and perhaps end up topping the group in the end because it contrasts massively with the way that they performed uh, in last year's group stage. Uh, and I just... I don't know. There's something. There's something about this. Uh, the the way that Real are coming into this as well. I kind of feel like Ancelotti's maybe running some of his key men, notably Vinicius Junior, a bit too much into the ground uh, for my liking. And uh, you know, I I I've got a sneaky feeling that Inter might do this. Derek, what do you think? And as somebody that watches, obviously Real Madrid commentates on on that team. Uh, what have you made of Real Madrid under Ancelotti as he has returned? And what do you make of this game? I've been pleasantly surprised by Real Madrid under Ancelotti in a second go-around so far. They've been the best team. Obviously, the points total would indicate that. But I think we're in an interesting phase of the season for Real Madrid. And I think Ancelotti made a conscious decision a couple of weeks ago that he was going to field the strongest team in La Liga, knowing that if Real Madrid were to win these key games and... Look at what they've done in the last couple of weeks. They've been winning those key games. There was the chance to pull away from everyone else. And so I've always sort of had at the back of my mind the idea that this inter game might be the one where he says, OK, now we do have to rest some of the regulars. We do have to keep in mind that we've got the derby coming up at the weekend. They had that big one this past weekend in San Sebastián against Real Sociedad. Mm. And, of course, they've won that one. They uh, defeated uh, the week before Sevilla uh, in, in a game that many people thought could go the other way. Actually, if you'd watched the game, you'd have said maybe a draw would have been a fair result. But of course, they they did what they had to do. And then in midweek as well, and so on and so on. So he's been putting strong teams out and even being criticised a bit for that, you know, the risk of burnout and the risk of players being tired. So there probably is a chance for Inter in this game. Real Madrid obviously want to win the group, finish the job. But I think the door is very much open for Inter because that derby at the weekend, imagine if Real Madrid win that you're not really looking at many teams in La Liga who realistically can chase them down. You see, this is why I love having somebody like Derek on as guest. You know, we we suddenly have so much more context I added know. to this because us here at CBS, we're looking at it from a very Italian perspective, given that we have the, the Serie A rights. But, you know, that's that, that's also totally justified. And also... Assuming it does play out that way and Real do manage to put some space between them and the chasing pack between now and, say, uh, the end of January, then they're really going to be the team that nobody wants to face in the knockout phase once it comes back. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, just to remind everybody, Karim Benzema uh, won't feature in this one. Uh, Lautaro Martinez should feature for Inter Milan, but Correa for Inter Milan uh, might come back. Oh, no, I'm sorry, is out as well. Injury blow there. So there are some issues for both sides, but it should be a big one. Dare I ask a prediction, Derek, if I, if I was to ask you, what do you think? Who do you think is going to win this one? I'm going for a draw on this one. I think there'll be goals. Um, I'll put down 2-2 on my list for this one. AJ? I think I called this one 2-1 in the predictions that I sent over. So I'm going to stick with that. 2-1 Inter, sorry, I should have said. Yeah, 2-1 Inter. Wow. Okay, yeah. I'm going to stick uh, with it. Uh, don't, don't, don't argue against Hakan Chalanoglu in, uh, in this current form. <laughs> yeah, true. I know, but I race you Vinicius. I mean, what, what could happen there? I don't know. I think it's going to be a tough one, but I see a draw. I, I'm not sure if it's 2 all. I think one all maybe. But regardless, I think Real Madrid stays with winning the group, which is enough 
for Carlo Ancelotti. Uh, all right, so basically, let's move on now to Group A. That's the 12:45 Eastern PSG. Jonathan Johnson, uh, you weren't very impressed this past weekend with PSG as they got a, a draw, uh, but they are second in the group to Manchester City. They've qualified, so really, this is about you know making sure not just bragging rights, but you know, making sure that PSG and Mauricio Pochettino continue on their way and looking good. Because we've said from the beginning, it's about making sure PSG get to the knockout stages and that they've done. How do you see this one? A rotated squad against Brugge? Yeah, I stand by that. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about getting out the group. But going back to your earlier comment, I don't think I've really been impressed by PSG at all this season, perhaps bar the win over Man City at home. Uh, it's it, It's been all very underwhelming. Once again, another... Uh, performance where they barely got out of second gear against Lens. Lucky to come away with a point when you consider some of the the opportunities that a, a very very entertaining and vibrant Lens side created. Uh, and it's just, uh, you know, it feels it, there is definitely something off. You know, in the relationship between Pochettino and PSG, uh, his inability to get the best out of his players. I'm sure we'll see Kylian Mbappe return to the starting eleven. Sounds like Sergio Ramos is still short of fitness, so he won't feature, which is. Disappointing considering that he was starting to feature having made his debut against Saint-Étienne. But in in any case, you know, this game really is a, a dead rubber from a PSG point of view. Uh, it means everything to Club Brugge because it's their only chance to potentially overhaul uh, RB Leipzig uh, for that third spot and, uh, and a drop into the Europa mm-hmm. League. But from a PSG point of view, I think they just have to focus at the moment on trying to get some cohesion together and actually putting a fluid performance, uh, you know, uh, together on the pitch, uh, you know, that can start to convince people because you can count on one hand how many times PSG have really looked uh, convincing uh, on the field so far this season. And I always think that these games are quite tricky for teams like PSG, for whom there's not an awful lot on the line. You know, they've they've done the basic amount in the group, as Jonathan says, without really dazzling. But you need a bit of motivation. Now, Brugge do have the motivation. And of course, they have been in control of that Europa League qualifying spot for most of the group only to see the tables turned on the last match day and so they really need to pull out all the stops and I think there is some you know ability within that squad to to pose some problems I I thought earlier in the group and I watched them especially in the game in Leipzig I thought that they had a lot to say for themselves and and after that I genuinely thought they probably will get the Europa League spot let's face it for Brugge that would have been the goal once the draw was made. I mean, you're not going to be in a group like that and realistically think that you can finish ahead of Manchester City and PSG. So I think this could actually be an interesting game for neutrals to watch. And uh, I'm not necessarily convinced that PSG are going to run all over Club Brugge. Yeah, well, give me a quick prediction then, Derek. What do you think? I'm going to say that this will be a draw. I'm going to say this will be 1-1. And um, that would certainly make it interesting with regard to the overall equation of the group. Derek, you are, uh, you know, floating on Jimmy Conrad ground here, giving me draw after Draws. draw. <laughs> JJ, what do you think? Uh, I've actually gone for a 1-0 PSG win. I, I agree with Derek. I don't see PSG running away with it. And it really wouldn't surprise me uh, if Club Brugge actually, you know, came away with a point or better. Uh, you know, to Derek's point, having been there in Belgium, seeing their opening game uh, of the group stage, they were very, very impressive. There's a lot of underrated talent uh, in that squad and I think that they will definitely want to show that this their, their, their group stage performance merits more than finishing bottom of this group but obviously it's not 
particularly in their hands, given uh, the, the a positive RB Leipzig result could seal third spot for them. But also at the same time, they can only give themselves the maximum uh, possibility of, of reaching the Europa League. And, uh, you know, I feel, think they will give it everything. Well, yeah, well, Bruja is a little bit like Bruja, which is witch in Spanish. So I wonder yeah. if they will cast a spell on Paris Saint-Germain. JJ, I want to come back to you. Obviously, I really want Derek's opinion on this as he covers the league as well. But RB Leipzig uh, hosting Manchester City. It's not really the game that we're here to talk about, although, of course, it's important because they want Europa League. But it's really about Jesse Marsh and the fact that he is no longer the club's manager. Uh, we've discussed this a lot, obviously, this week. And as I mentioned, I would love Derek's opinion on this. But when you look at the table, when you look at the restructuring of the squad in the summer, it's not to say that it's all completely Jesse Marsh's undoing, though obviously he is the one that the fingers point at. What say you about Jesse Marsh saying goodbye to, to the club? Not a huge surprise, uh, but obviously not what we wanted, uh, you know, uh, this this early in the season. Uh, it's from the outside looking in, uh, it always felt like this season was going to be more difficult than some people around Leipzig were, were making out. It was almost like the club were ignoring the fact that they'd lost so many key figures, uh, to Bayern Munich over the Mm -hmm. summer. Uh, you know, I, it was always going to be very difficult to move on after you lose, you know, such a charismatic coach as Julian Nagelsmann, uh, but also, uh, you know, such a defensive stalwart as Dieter Pomecano, and then somebody who's as talismanic uh, as Marcel Sabitzer. You know, taking those three out of the equation immediately, that made life uh, a lot more difficult for Leipzig coming into this season. I also feel very, very sorry for Marsh in a way, because when I saw Leipzig come to Paris, they put in a very, very good performance, didn't uh, you know, deserve the way that the match went late on uh, against them. They were the better side for the majority of that encounter. And they were also quite unlucky that they didn't capitalize on a brighter start against PSG in Germany. You know, had they taken more from those games, they could well have salvaged uh, the the Europa League spot ahead of time. Uh, and Jesse Marsh may well still be in a job. So, uh, you know, there's obviously the, the situation domestically has been a bit more concerning for the Leipzig hierarchy. But, uh, you know, I I guess the other thing that really surprises me is given that we've been debating the possibility of this happening uh, for a while, that they haven't moved to immediately bring somebody else in, whether that's because they're waiting for someone like Jaisler uh, of uh, of Salzburg to to be done with their Champions League campaign, because obviously he can send uh, a Red Bull team into the latter latter stages, depending on the way these midweek fixtures go, uh, or that they're targeting somebody else completely who, you know, who might be, uh, outside of the the Red Bull network uh, at this moment in time. So I'm really looking forward to hearing more of what Derek has to say to sort of add that necessary context to it. Yeah, where do we start with this one? Um, let's start in the summer. And I did note at the time that when Jesse Marsh got the job, he was given a two-year contract. So not a long contract. So I think we all said, and I believe I said on Twitter at the time, you know, just remember that it's a two-year contract. So he was, if you like, on probation. They believed in him. They certainly saw him as somebody who'd come through their own clubs, their own Herbe clubs, and they saw some potential. But I don't think they were 100% convinced. And let's face it, it's a big step up from being the coach of the champions of Austria when you're very well resourced in comparison with the others to then going to a top Bundesliga club. And 
contrary to what a lot of people think, you don't just breeze into the Champions League. You know, there is work to do outside of Bayern. Every other game in the Bundesliga was put to me the other day as a bit like a, a knife fight. You know, it, it's really an unpredictable league and teams near the bottom beat teams near the top all the time. So um, you've rightly mentioned, Jonathan, the, the personnel situation. I think that there's a bit of revisionism that has gone on in the last few weeks. People uh, have said to me, you know, from all over the world, yeah, well, you know, it was never going to be a good season for them. It was always going to be a struggle. You know, I I don't really accept that. I can accept that, yes, it was going to be more difficult. You've lost those players that you mentioned, Upamecano for certain. Konate, who hardly played really for two years, you got to say that. Zabitza was there at the start when the results weren't great the first few weeks, and then he left, and that compounded things. And you've lost Nagelsmann. You've lost one of the best coaches in the world. So, yeah, big shoes to fill, big job for Jesse Marsh. But the expectation was certainly not 11th place in the Bundesliga at this stage of the season with more defeats than wins. You know, should they be below Bochum, the team that got promoted from the second division last season? Should they be below Kern, who we spoke about earlier? Realistically, not. Now, here's the one thing I do find interesting. I listened yesterday to Oliver Minzlaff, who is the CEO of RB Leipzig, talking on Sport 1. He gave a fairly long interview explaining the reasons for the departure of Jesse Marsh now. And he stressed that it was mutual that Jesse Marsh, he, in his words, came to him or to them twice after match day seven and 10 and expressed doubts as to whether he was the right person for the job, as to whether he was the right fit at this particular time. And Minzlaff made the point, and we've all seen it, that Leipzig have evolved. They've gone from being this power team, this pressing, gegenpressing, if you like, team, um, to being much better in possession, a bit slower under Julian Nagelsmann. But the idea of bringing in Jesse Marsh was to reinstate the core Herbe values, to go back to the, the power game, if you like. And it seemed that some players just weren't on board with that. Mislav yeah. said, yeah, the players have to look at themselves as well because they didn't um, implement the, the match plans that were put forward. Now, it's been widely reported that Holger Schmidt of uh, PSV in the Netherlands has been the, the, the main target of Leipzig to be the next coach. But it's also been reported today that Schmidt has no interest in terminating his contract, which runs until 2022. Now, Schmidt is, if anything an even more extreme power gegenpressing football advocate. So if if the argument is that Jesse Marsh wasn't the right fit, why would you be going for somebody else who's in that mold? You know, so to me, something doesn't quite add up with that reasoning. But I think the bottom line is the results weren't good enough. There was underperformance. He was a breath of fresh air in terms of his personality. I think people liked him even though they may not love Leipzig, and most people in Germany certainly don't love Leipzig for a variety of reasons. And I think we can only hope that um, that he'll be back in, in some capacity as, as a football coach somewhere. I've got one question to kind of follow up with, and I know it's not going to go down particularly yeah. well with the Bundesliga crowd, but is this a major blow for the Red Bull empire losing a coach who's come through the ranks uh, and was expected to sort of lead Leipzig on uh, to take that next step. Because from the outside looking in, once again, it is a club now that seems to be quite a stepping stone club for its Mm. biggest players. You know, we're we're looking at the likes of Christopher Nkunku having a superb season, and I'm delighted to see him doing so well outside of Paris. But again, somebody who may well find himself on the move, probably not in January, but uh, next summer. 
Yeah, I mean, I think this has always been the debate with RB Leipzig. What are they? What do they want to be? They've been quite consistent in terms of those core values. They've been about signing players at a young age, making them RB players, building up their values, and then selling them on for the most part. There have been exceptions. People like Forsberg and people like Paulsen and Zabitzer, you could certainly say, until he he left for Bayern. But but this is the dilemma now. Where do they go from here? And, you know, for example, if you look at coaches, could a coach from the outside come in and do a job for this club? Because so far, you mentioned stepping stones. It's been, yes, a stepping stone situation for players, but also for coaches. You know, So does that mean that the logical next step is you look at Matthias Jessler uh, in Salzburg? Um, do you look at maybe Bo Svensson at Mainz, who has a background with Herbe, um, who's done really well with Mainz? Or do you sort of go in with an open mind and say, no, we've moved beyond this. You know, With Nagelsmann, we had somebody who wasn't an Herbe guy, maybe some crossover in terms of his values and beliefs, but he made them more of a possession team. Did he make them a better team? Yes, he did. So um, I think all these things have to to be discussed. I, I, I do agree that uh, some people will, will ask the question, why do you get rid of a coach when you don't have an obvious replacement? I think the answer is that they just felt that the situation had had got out of hands and there were doubts on both sides. But I think also they are waiting to find out you know, who might be available between now and Christmas. We've only got... Um, what three counting them in my head? We've got one, we've got three match days until the winter break, and that's usually when somebody else gets brought in. So it buys Leipzig a bit of time to assess whether or not there's somebody available. Maybe some, maybe somebody gets sacked. I mean, Adi Hütter, for example, uh, in Mönchengladbach after a six-nil home defeat against Freiburg, is under pressure. Max Eberl has said no. Um, you know, he's our guy, and we'll walk this path together. But Suppose somebody like that became available. Somebody else who again has, guess what, an Herbe background. So, yeah, they're, they're an interesting club. As I said, they're not everybody's favourites, but um, from a football point of view and from a, a sort of a football developmental building point of view, that they're fascinating. Something else that fascinates me, uh, and I'll try and make this as quick as possible, is the possibility that we might see Red Bull now do something that we've seen them do in Formula One in the past, where they potentially bring somebody up from what's essentially a feeder club uh, in Salzburg. Is there a possibility that we see Jesse Marsh go back to Salzburg? Because I noticed in the press release, uh, he hinted that he's still actually part of the, the Red Bull group. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that, but I suppose it is possible because he certainly was very well liked there and did a great job. But again, if you're thinking about stepping stones, um, you know, what would be the point of that from the overall Herbe point of view? You know, would it make sense to have somebody there who's probably not going to ascend to the, the Leipzig job again? Um, I don't know. Um, it, it's it's certainly one to watch. I don't think we've heard the last of Jesse Marsh, but whether that's in Europe or whether that's back in the USA, I'm not sure. Yeah, well, we have a great episode with Fabrizio Romano, who does discuss a little bit about this, because obviously we have to take his family into consideration and what they would want. There's some choices and possibilities yeah. as well. Maybe an MLS, uh, you know, Raf Rangnick, uh, he was his assistant at Manchester United. You never know. But that was some great, great context and a great conversation on Jesse Marsh and Leipzig. And yes, I agree. This is uh, one of those interesting clubs because they really are a conglomerate really but they're, they have a great philosophy on the pitch definitely on the Nagelsmann but regardless of that 
they do host Manchester City, so they do have to get some points on the pitch. Let's move on here. Group B, second spot, by the way, is up for grabs. Porto against Atleti and AC Milan uh, against Liverpool. So obviously Liverpool are fine. More than fine. They should probably bring in the third squad, really, if they really want to recuperate and get ready for that massive game against the greatest club the world has ever seen, Aston Villa, this weekend. But Porto, AC Milan, and Atleti, they're all fighting for second. All right? So, Jonathan Johnson, talk to me. Who is getting that second spot? You know what? I'm going to throw a curveball, and I'm going to say it's going to be AC Milan. Uh, And I'm not saying it out of hope that Liverpool, uh, you know, sort of get demoralized ahead of that clash with Villa. In fact, if anything, I want them to go as full strength as possible so that it gives us a better chance of winning over the weekend. But yep. for me, I just think that Liverpool, you know, they they really have nothing else to prove in this group. You know, they've absolutely demolished it. Uh, you know, they're going through as very worthy winners. Uh, and I think that this is a very unexpected second chance for, for Milan. Um, but also, you know, looking more widely at the group, I'm looking at that Porto-Atletico Madrid game. I'm not convinced that Atleti will win that. Normally, I would favour Atleti with their backs against the wall in this kind of situation. But this season just feels, uh, you know, everything around Atleti feels a little dated, a little uh, underwhelming. Uh, so my actual combination for this match day is Milan winning, uh, Porto-Atleti drawing. Wow. Derek? I'm going to say that Porto will win and therefore get the second place. Now, I've probably watched Atletico more often this season than any team apart from Bayern. So I think Jonathan's right. Dated is quite a good word. They don't quite know anymore who they are, what they are. Um, Having said that, I mean, they can put it together, but it hasn't happened terribly often this term. It did happen against Cadiz recently. It happened against Betis in La Liga a few weeks ago when they... Um, look like the Atletico of old, but it, it's usually just little spells in games where they rely on the individual qualities of Griezmann or Suarez to score an important goal or Correa, who I think has actually been a bit unlucky not to, to play more often than he has, but such is life when you have all those attacking riches but can't squeeze everybody into the side. Um, I think Porto are competent and I think that they will probably do it. I, I do sort of agree with Jonathan. It, it'll be a tight game. I can't imagine that Porto are going to run away with it or that Atletico are going to run away with it. And maybe that does leave it open for Milan. But I'm hard-pressed, sad to say, because I have a little soft spot for Atleti and a great admiration for uh, Diego Simeone and, and for what they're all about, really. But um, I have a feeling it's not going to happen. Yeah, so do I. I have a very soft spot for Diego Simeone. The issue with Diego Simeone, Cholo teams, uh, is that the mental is as important as the physical. And if you can't mentally adjust yourself to a Simeone-style system, it's just, it's all or nothing in many ways. And and that's kind of what's happening right now with Atleti. I have to agree with both of you. Um, or at the, Did you say Porto as well, JJ? Because I think Porto is just about going to do this. I obviously... No, I, I said Porto to draw, so they drop into and Europe Milan and Milan, yeah. Milan go into the Champions League. But it also wouldn't surprise me if uh, Porto did sneak it and uh, Milan ended up going into the Europa League. It might be an advantage for AC Milan, taking in mind to what Antonio Conte and Inter did last season when they couldn't have any European football, but they did win Scudetto. But I think Porto just about... They've been the most unimpressively consistent squad i think they're they're very solid off the ball but nothing too fancy but regardless liverpool's laughing all the way to the knockout but funnily enough we talked we were talking about 
the potential new manager for for RB Leipzig. And I'm I'm not suggesting that Conceição would necessarily be a good mm. fit in Germany, but Conceição for me is definitely one of the big name coaches who's next going to make the jump to a, a, a top European league because he, he really impressed me when he was with Nantes in Ligue 1 and what he does with Porto season after season with so little in terms of resources comparatively with with other bigger European clubs is, is phenomenal. Not a bad point. All right, let's move on to Group C. And Derek Ray, uh, you know, we haven't talked about him face to face. Obviously, I read your Twitter and stuff, but I mean, Erling Haaland is uh, out of this universe and obviously the statistics show for themselves uh, what Borussia Dortmund does without him and what they do with him. However, you know, Ajax is clearly, you know, so comfortable in this group, uh, sporting too, and Borussia Dortmund unfortunately just have Europa League. But what have you made of Dortmund to specifically actually include their classicer as well this past weekend? Well, I thought they played well against Bayern on Saturday. It was one of the great Dortmund-Bayern matches of recent years that had absolutely everything, including a lot of refereeing controversy. It's got everybody talking in Germany still two days on. Dortmund have been much better in the Bundesliga than they have been in the Champions League. I think the campaign has been a bit pathetic, really, in the Champions League. When you look at what it should have been at the start. I know when the draw was made, just about every Dortmund fan thought, this is a manageable group. No guarantees, of course. You know, great respect for Ajax, Sporting and Besiktas. But Dortmund, with the ability they have, with the squad they have, they should really be in the top two. And they're not going to be in the top two. So in a pandemic situation with finances not what they used to be, that's obviously a big blow. And so the one interesting thing is that Hans-Joachim Watzke, the CEO of the club, has basically implored the players now to think Europa League, to think about winning the Europa League. And he's even said to make some of the money back that they're going to lose out on through not being in the Champions League knockout stages. And even the message has been sent this game against Besiktas what is it, 3 million euro that you get for winning a game in the group stage? We don't normally talk about that with big clubs That's in true. Europe. But yeah. That is being discussed, that you know there's a chance to get some money back for the club in this pandemic situation. So every penny counts at the moment. And yeah, I mean, Holland is, is somebody really special, um, but this will be motivation for them. They feel a bit wronged by what happened against Bayern at the weekend. I don't necessarily go along with that 100%, but there is this sense of grievance based on the refereeing decisions from Felix Zweier at the weekend. We could do a whole podcast on that. And um, so, yeah, Dortmund will be up for it. Yeah, I was going to ask about uh, Dortmund in the Europa League. Do you think that this is a squad that could change their goals, uh, you know, according to to, to which competition they're playing in and, and could actually realistically you know, focus on going deep uh, in the Europa League and potentially winning it uh, while balancing their title push in the Bundesliga. Do you think, you know, Haaland, for example, you know, would would buy into that? I don't see why not, Jonathan. I think that obviously you're playing Thursdays and Sundays. It's not ideal. But in the Bundesliga, it's a lighter schedule in comparison with many other leagues. So you have a bit of wiggle room there. And it's a trophy they've never won, the Europa League slash UEFA Cup. That's something that hasn't happened for Dortmund before. And German clubs have, and it's been well documented, been really disappointing in the Europa League going back over a number of years. So I think with the squad, when you look at other squads who might be there, um, 
you say, why not? But of course, as we all know, once you get to the business end of the Europa League, it's easier said than done. And the Spanish clubs have tended to, to fare much better um, when it's come to those latter games. But Eintracht Frankfurt really were the trailblazers for other German clubs to have a look at based on what they did a couple of years ago. So if they can go far, why not this current Dortmund team? And I, I don't think they're going to win the Bundesliga, um, but the Europa League should be a possibility for them. And the current... It would be quite just, interesting as yeah, well if Leipzig are also targeting it. Yeah, and that's another really good point because they feel as though they should be in that conversation, Leipzig. That's why it's really important that they get into the Europa League knockout stages as well. Yeah, that well, that's, that's where I was going. You know, it's not just about winning a tournament this season, but also qualifying. Because also, you know, the, the major talking point, of course, is Erling Haaland and his future. You know, and whether he stays with Borussia Dortmund, uh, things will get even more complicated. His current contract expires 2024, but uh, a few things come into play in the summer of next year as well. So that's a very important thing. So I'm wondering, you know, do you see um, Holland staying in Borussia Dortmund even if, uh, you know, they, they, let's say, let's say for argument's sake, they qualify for the Champions League next season, Derek. Okay. Mm. And let's say that they, let's say, let's say they win Europa League. Okay. Is that enough for him to stay? I think it could be. I, I don't think we can automatically say that he's definitely going at the end of the campaign. I mm. think that there's certainly been a conversation between him or between his agent and uh, Dortmund along the lines of, yeah, you can go this coming summer. But Dortmund are giving it the best shot. They're trying everything in their arsenal to say to Holland, listen, you have it really good here. And the one thing, of course, he hasn't had the experience of for a whole season is the the proper... Zignali Duna Park atmosphere. You know, we've had little tastes of it, but because of the pandemic, you know, crowds are reduced again. So what they're saying is, you know, stay with us and you won't go wrong here because the one thing Dortmund do very well is they give players the showcase and it becomes almost like a bit of a drug after a while, you know, playing in front of 80,000. You don't get to do that anywhere else. And uh, you know that it will stand you in good stead for the long haul. So it's a matter of, obviously, when Holland will leave. But I wouldn't say it's necessarily beyond the realms of possibility that um, Holland stays for another year. Go ahead. Also something, really, something really influential on this season, uh, Dortmund's fortunes, has been the fact that this is the first time that Haaland has really known proper injury issues. You know, he's been out for a, a fairly lengthy period of time already. Uh, and that's a problem not only for club, but also for country, because we saw Norway uh, and the way that their World Cup qualification hopes fell apart towards the end without him. You know, is that also something that could potentially play into Dortmund's favour uh, in terms of potential suitors looking elsewhere, uh, you know, for summer signings? Yeah, that could happen if he were to get injured again. Obviously, he's just come back. He was out for six weeks. Um, no doubt about it. The big clubs are looking and they're probably at the moment are, I'm sure you guys would agree, two or three clubs who realistically would be able to sign Erling Haaland. I mean, I think we're looking at the guy who we'll all be talking about as the best striker in the world for the next decade or so. I mean, I'm fairly confident that barring injuries, uh, that's who Haaland will end up being. Yeah, he's an absolute freak, and I don't think anybody can describe. He's just incredible. All right, everybody. Uh, well, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, it's Wednesday's action in the Champions League, and that includes Manchester United and young boys, Atalanta, Villarreal, Salzburg against Sevilla, Juve, Chelsea, so much more. Stay right here. Kigo, Lasso, Jonathan Johnson, Derek Ray, Champions League preview. We'll be right back. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Welcome back, everybody. Champions League Gate Golasso preview. It's the final matches of the group stage. Jonathan Johnson, Derek Ray in the house. And Derek, let's begin. Bayern München, Barcelona. Mm. What a game. Barcelona need to win. Simple question. I wonder if it's this long of an answer. Can Barcelona do it? I highly doubt it. I'd be very surprised if they can do it. Now, let's, I suppose, try to talk up Barca's chances just, you know, for argument's sake. It is a Geisterspiel, so no fans. Geisterspiel meaning ghost game in German. Oh, I like it. That's very yeah. symbolic there in German. I like it. Yeah, it's a great compound word, Geisterspiel. <laughs> so that's where we are in Munich at the moment, unfortunately. No yeah. fans allowed in. So maybe that will help Barcelona a little bit. It won't be the, the home advantage that Bayern normally have. Bayern will probably rest a couple of the regulars. I would think Thomas Müller is due a rest. I would imagine Leroy Zane will be rested. But Barcelona, of course, have had injury problems all season long as well. And they still have them with Ansu Fati being out. And looks as though Gavi might be a, a, a doubt for this game as well. So they're up against it, you know. And I, I watched little snippets from the, the Betis game. And yeah, they're just inconsistent. And, you know, they do have ability, but I'm not sure they're ready for Bayern. We saw earlier in the competition what Bayern did to them. And, um, yeah, you might say Bayern have won five in a row. What's the incentive there? There's always an incentive with Bayern. They, they don't just go through the motions, and certainly Julian Nagelsmann won't let them go through the motions. So um, by a Barcelona to beat Bayern, I'm not sure. But, on the other hand, might they get enough to be the team that goes through in second that is possible yeah definitely I'm looking at that one thinking that a draw isn't beyond the realm of possibility even though I wouldn't particularly put them down as uh, as, as favorites for that but I mean I guess the question that I put to both of you because we were talking about how Leipzig and Dortmund might target the the Europa League and obviously aside from the financial argument which is significant especially for a club like Barcelona uh, you know is Europa League perhaps more within their reach at this moment in time? I mean, would it would it serve them better to potentially go on a deep run in the Europa League, maybe all the way to the final, as opposed to potentially come up against a tougher opponent in the knockout phase and immediately go out after this? You know what? I hadn't really thought of that, Jonathan, but I think it's a very good point now that you mention it. I think that we've seen the Europa League be this tournament in the past that can embolden a club. Uh, you know, in the old days, when it first came about, when the name change came about, people said the Europa League, what's that? Uh, not everybody said that, but some people said that. But I think we've seen now that um, it has grown in prestige, I think, in the minds of most people. And that would be a story for 
Barca because let's face it in La Liga this season they are nowhere they're, they're miles off and yeah they probably could finish top four I'm hard-pressed to believe they could finish much better than that but in the Europa League and we spoke earlier about Spanish clubs in the Europa League it, it might be doable it might be doable the only thing that I will say is that I think symbolically it would be terrible Barcelona fans would hate it. They would hate everything about it. They would hate being in the Europa League. They wouldn't, I mean, maybe winning it might give them 20 minutes of happiness, but then they'll look back and think, my goodness, we're not in the Champions League. <laughs> However, financially, economically, it would be good for them, obviously, to do that. And even in a point of a squad perspective, you know, players at least can feel that they've done something going in a journey of a tournament. But I think that overall, obviously, Xavi himself, he's going to be disgusted at himself if he doesn't, at the very least, you know, get Champions League or even qualify for next season. So it's a big one. Let's do predictions then, Derek. What's going to happen? Uh, is Barcelona getting that second spot? Um. I think they might actually get the second spot because I'm not sure what's going to happen in the other game, but I'm, right. I'm still going to say that Bayern will win the game 3-1. All right, 3-1. But Barcelona, yeah, because of Benfica not getting yeah. enough. JJ? 3, three is feeling about right. I think I said 3-0, three, three but 3-1 wouldn't surprise me either. But actually, funnily enough, history could come round and slap Barcelona in the face, given that Denis Aitekin of uh, Remontada fame will be refereeing that Benfica <laughs> match. I can tell ah. you that PSG fans are rubbing their hands at the, the prospect of, uh, of karma coming back. Yeah, well, we will see. Our friend and colleague Jimmy Conrad predicted Barcelona not getting into the Champions League knockout stages at the very beginning, and that could very well happen. Let's move to Group F, by the way. Manchester United and who else? Uh, Man United against Young Boys, Atalanta against Villarreal. Man U are already through Villarreal, Atalanta, even Young Boys, uh, you know, just fighting their second, third and fourth. But very quickly, Derek, Ralph Rangnick, interim mm -hmm. manager, Manchester United. I know that you're paying more attention to La Liga and Bundesliga these days, but still, it's a big job. Uh, obviously, there's been... Advice from United saying, look, interim, but, you know, consultancy. But I'm wondering, you know, if he does good things there, if he might even get offered the permanent job. What do you make of Rangnick's move to United, the godfather of Gagan Prezik? Yeah, it's an intriguing one. I think I've always had in my mind that at some stage, Ralf Rangnick would end up in England because he's spoken a lot about England in the last couple of years when he's done interviews. And of course, he's been linked with various English clubs. The timing hasn't been right. You know, he's somebody who can pick and choose. He's not somebody who needs a job at this point in his life. It has to be something that is intriguing for him. I think United fans should be looking at Rangnick as a builder, a long-term person. He's not somebody to come in and, and give you the quick fix, although you might get the added benefit of that. But he's he is a planner. He's somebody for a four or five-year plan to put things into place that will help the club from top to bottom, not just the first team. So at the moment, what you're really doing is you're saying, right, you have the keys to the kingdom. You, you do all this. And actually, that's what Rangnick wants. That's why he's taken the job. Mm. He wouldn't have taken the job just to be the, the, the first team coach for a few months and then see how it goes. Why would he want that? So I think um, that's what United fans have got to hope, that you get Rangnick for the short time doing everything, and then you essentially have faith in him and you say to him, right, you pick the coach, you bring in the guy who you think reflects your way of thinking, and you're in the background, you know, call him what you will, whether it's sporting director, technical director, advisor, consultant, um, you know, you name it. But your thinking is underpinning what's happening at the club. And I do hope that works out. And I think there's 
strong evidence based on his past to believe that that will work out. Yeah, I've been reading up uh, a fair bit of uh, the interviews that Ranić has done in the last couple of years. Uh, I found it interesting that he branched out into some kind of form of freelance um, consultancy with that short spell with Lokomotiv Moscow. Obviously, it didn't go particularly as well as he would have hoped. But also at the same time, Ranić is someone who you know played uh, an absolutely key role in the rise of Gagan pressing to, to become sort of one of the most recognized styles of play in the last couple of years. And then recently... In some of his interviews, he started hinting at how there's going to be a new style of play that potentially comes to the fore. And I'm just wondering if he's maybe got that in him uh, to sort of either lead that revolution or recognize uh, the personality or the, you know, the, the, the up and coming uh, coach who perhaps has the, the, the most ability to, to bring in this new style. Because I know that he was looking at Italian football in particular as potentially uh, you know, part of this new wave uh, that he expects to, to take football by storm next. Yes, uh, show up that uh, uh, group again on the screen, please, because obviously, you know, Man United aside, they are through, but Atalanta Villarreal is a very, very mm. big game. Uh, very big fan of both managers, Unai Emery, Gasperini. What do you make of this one, Derek Ray? Obviously, you pay attention, I, I would imagine, more to Villarreal, but Atalanta is not necessarily a team that you can ignore obviously nope. very aggressive very good especially off the ball what do you make of this one and who who gets that second spot really difficult to predict this one i think it's the hardest of of all the games yeah. Villarreal have been the the draw specialists in la liga if not in the champions league this season they've underwhelmed i thought they would be much better i actually thought they could be a top four side easily in la liga but that they've not been close um Atalanta, um, big fan of Gasparini based on years of, of watching him do things differently against the grain. I think Atalanta are going to do this. I think uh, at home they are going to they're going to beat Villarreal and consign them probably to the Europa League. Yeah, absolutely agree. I, th I look at the way that Atalanta have really come on uh, in recent weeks domestically, uh, and I think this will be one of the nights where they produce, you know, that fantastic brand of football that we all love. Uh, and unfortunately for Unai Emery, uh, blow Villarreal away. And I kind of wonder if Emery and Villarreal's struggles have, have sort of partly been because of their Europa League success uh, last season, and then also Emery having that distraction of uh, Newcastle potentially coming in for him uh, a couple of months ago. So we'll see if they rebuild, but for me, I'm going for Atalanta, probably 3-0, actually, I think. Yeah, Derek, that same score, a little more, a little less? No, I'll, I'll say 2-1, uh, 2-1 oh. Atalanta. Oh, very good. Villarreal, by the way, 13th in La Liga and Atalanta with a great win against Napoli. So, you know, there's that to be said as well. All right, let's move on to Group G. This is basically the Oprah Winfrey gif of you get a car, you get a car. Everybody can qualify here. It's amazing. Lille, Salzburg, Sevilla, Wolfsburg, eight, seven, six, five points. Unbelievable. This is actually definitely for the neutral, just uh, madness uh, all round. So, JJ, let's begin with you. What say you? Let's go anywhere. Salzburg face Sevilla and Wolfsburg face Lille. What do you think? Yeah, obviously, uh, you know, being a specialist in French football, I'm going to be particularly hopeful that Lille can get the result uh, and make it out of the group stage. It, it would be a real shame to see Wolfsburg fall by the wayside. Uh, I had a great chat uh, recently with uh, Kevin Babu. Very, very interesting. Uh, you know, I, 
I kind of got the impression from him that he wasn't sure if the club had not acted too soon, replacing Mark van Bommel. Obviously, things picked up under Florian Krofeld immediately, uh, but then they've also suffered a little bit in recent weeks in terms of their results. But I'm also keen to see what happens with Salzburg, with Geisler, uh, you know, if they can pull it off uh, and make it out of this group stage as well. So for me, I, I guess I kind of have my fingers crossed that uh, – it stays as is and, and both Lille and Salzburg advance because let's face it, Severe, if they drop into the Europa League with the final being played at their home stadium, we might as well just put their names on the trophy right now. <laughs> Derek? This, this is one of these situations where in, in German, they talk about the Konferenzschaltung, which basically is a broadcast where you have the two games going concurrently, or at least you switch between the two games right. constantly, because it's going to be great theatre. Wolfsburg, as Jonathan has said, um, they got rid of Mark van Bommel. It started well under Florian Kohfeldt. That game against Lille earlier in the group was maybe one of the worst Champions League matches that I've seen in quite a long time. There wasn't an awful lot happened in the game, certainly not much from a Wolfsburg point of view, the nil-nil draw. Um, do they have enough about them to beat Lille? Yes, but I think they're going to have to have a really good day, really special day, and we haven't seen enough of them. So I'm doubting Wolfsburg just slightly. Having watched Sevilla quite a bit recently, I think they can go there and beat Salzburg. That's not an easy thing to do, but I have a feeling that they will when the chips are down. So um, probably Sevilla to go through and Lille to do enough to not lose against Wolfsburg. Yeah, and Sevilla's second in La Liga as well. So you would think that, you know, they want to keep on with that momentum at the very least. By the way, a lot of American influence, of course, with Brendan Aronson, Jonathan Brooks, uh, Timothy Weah, and, and uh, so many more. That's an American-induced... Uh, and a Canadian. Yes, yes, I yes. forgot, of course. Jonathan <laughs> yes, Des Norris, yeah. that's right. Yeah, how could I forget about Canada? All right, let's finish off everything with Group H because, yes, even though these two teams have qualified, there is... The fight for the top. And that is important, everybody. Monetary decisions aside, it's about making sure that they end as group winners, meaning that they are at home in the second leg, which, you know, is an advantage to many, many managers. Chelsea, Juventus, and uh, Zenit has Europa League, and Mamo is done, though. And Namo, by the way, just won their division. But Chelsea, Juventus, obviously looking to see who gets top. Juventus faces Mamo, Zenit, Chelsea. JJ, what say you? I'm going for Juve and Chelsea both to win. Uh, but I think it would be more valuable for Juve, the win, because they're improving at the moment in terms of the fact that they're moving up the table. They've still been a bit inconsistent, uh, you know, but I, I think it's now or never really for Max Allegri to get a tune out of Juve because they're so far behind the potential Champions League qualification uh, places in Italy already that they're really going to have to improve a lot uh, if they're to be ready for the knockout phase. So it wouldn't surprise me to see Juve win at home, Chelsea win away. Uh, but obviously, you know, it's never an easy time to go to Russia. So there is the possibility that Chelsea drop points. So Juve will have to be, you know, absolutely on the top of their game. And I think it really benefits them playing at home to finish the group. Can I give you another great German word that doesn't have an equivalent in English? Fern duel. And a fern duel. Very well said. And what it basically means is it's a long distance duel. And we don't really have that in English. It's basically two teams playing in different venues, different games, but essentially against each other for one particular prize. So in this case, it's for top spot in the group. So fair and duel. I love it. Fair and duel. Fair and duel. Long distance duel. Um, Who's going to win this one? I think it's anyone's guess. I go along with Jonathan. I think that uh, Juve and Chelsea should be too strong for their respective opponents. 
What do you make of Thomas Tuchel and his time with Chelsea? Derek Ray, he, they just lost against West Ham, but still, they are just a formidable force. Of course, the defending champions of the Champions League. What do you make of him? Great coach. I think he was slightly misunderstood in Dortmund. I think that he had some issues with Hans-Joachim Watzke, the CEO, and you know personal issues there. But the, the guy's a really good coach. I think we, we've seen that. And um, he's gone to the right place. And I think he instinctively knew he was going to the right place. The structure was already there for him. They've let him get on with it, doing what he does so well. And the football is eye-catching and it's effective and it's it's everything. I mean, um, you know, Bayern almost had him as their coach a few years ago. It didn't work out for various reasons. He may go there again in the future. But I think we're talking about, if you're identifying right now, the, the top three, four coaches in the world, he's got to be in the conversation. Yeah, I absolutely agree with it with you. And, uh, you know, I think it's just a shame the way that things ended between him and uh, him and PSG, you know, obviously being the coach to have finally taken them uh, all the way to a final and then falling short against Bayern. The squad really struggled uh, to re to pick itself back up after that. And I, I don't think they necessarily did tuckle, uh the service that he deserved for given what he'd achieved. And I think we're now seeing the difference between somebody, you know, with all due respect to Maurizio Pochettino, who's a very good coach and somebody who is an elite coach uh, in Thomas Tuchel, the difference between PSG under the German and now under the Argentine. Yeah, there aren't many better press conferences than when Tuchel gives one. Uh, he just basically educates you. Maybe Marcelo Yesa is, is, is the one that I look forward to the most. But that's it. That's our Champions League preview, everybody. My goodness, packed, full of knowledge. I learned some new words. It was just amazing. I loved it. And Jonathan Johnson, first to you. Thank you so much for being here, buddy. No, thanks a lot for having me. And thank you to, to Derek. It's, you know, it's fantastic to have a guest who's who's as knowledgeable and, and likewise, you know, I feel uh, like I've, I've just had a massive boost of knowledge. I know. I love it. Derek Ray, I appreciate it. You know what? Like, forget Heath Pierce, forget Jimmy Conrad, like you, my friend. We'll try and get you. We'll, we'll sneakily get you in as well in the future. But Derek, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for being here. No, thank you for having me. And I would echo what Jonathan has said. I think the great thing about football is we all have our own areas of interest and hopefully knowledge. And when we all come together and can share that knowledge, it's really what makes the world go round. So thanks to, to both of you for that. Absolutely. Thank you. And it wasn't a fan duel as well. So don't worry about that. One. So thank you so much, everybody. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Kegolasso Pod. We are on youtube.com forward slash Kegolasso, CBS Sports, your CBS Sports app. Apple Podcasts, please leave a rating and review. We're also on Spotify, wherever you listen to your pods. Derek Ray, you can follow him on Twitter and John underscore the gossip as well. This has been our Kegolasso Champions League preview. We hope. You enjoy it and the rest of your week. We'll see you next time. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.